Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. It's 9.30 in 716. The bell continues to toll as victims of sexual abuse by priests come forward and calls for transparency and action on the part of the Catholic Diocese of Buffalo. Five and a half years it has taken Bishop Malone to even begin to recognize the necessity for releasing files and names. Bishop Malone and all bishops must come out and be more transparent and reveal the names of of all the perpetrators that they're aware of so people don't have to, victims don't have to suffer alone. I'm Tim Wenger on the podcast powered by the Brothers of Mercy, a five-star rated skilled nursing residence offering affordable living in a country setting. On a brilliant and sunny St. Patrick's weekend Sunday morning, faithful Catholics filed into the stunning St. Joe's Cathedral in downtown Buffalo. I was inside the church as Bishop Malone led the Mass, which included the leadership of the Irish American Association, charged with leading the annual massive St. Patrick's Day Parade in Buffalo, while outside on the sidewalk. We're here this morning uh, on St. Patrick's Day, the the day after St. Patrick's Day, which... uh is commemorated today inside the cathedral here by Bishop Malone. Dr. Robert Hotson of Road to Recovery continuing to beat the drum and demand the diocese release the names and documentation relating to every credible reported incident of abuse by a priest. It is something the diocese says it is strongly considering, but has not yet done. Because during the week, Bishop Malone uh, said something that we found to be quite interesting and outrageous, frankly. Uh, He told a media outlet that uh, for the last five and a half years, he was operating on an inherited policy of secrecy and cover-up. And we think that's outrageous. Um, Any bishop who is a shepherd and is here five and a half years already would have taken the bull by the horns and done something about the sexual abuse of children by clergy in the Diocese of Buffalo, New York. Uh, we're here today to meet to ask Bishop Malone to immediately release the names and the files of any clergyman who has been credibly accused of sexual abuse in the Diocese of Buffalo, New York. Five and a half years it has taken Bishop Malone to even begin to recognize the necessity for releasing files and names. But that's not unusual because we're used to, in the church, the secrecy and the cover-up. The church still is concerned about two things, their image and their assets. They are not concerned essentially with children, which is why we have the sign today that says the church can't protect children, strong laws can. So we also want Bishop Malone to support, to begin to support the Child Victims Act. Now I've heard rumors that he may be in Albany this week to lobby against the bill, the very bill that would give children who are abused, or rather adults who are abused as children their day in court. 
This is the man who said he inherited a policy of secrecy and cover-up and did nothing about it. Now, if I as a shepherd or I as a CEO of a corporation kept secrets for five and a half years, I would be fired. And so, Bishop Malone, it's time today, March 18th, 2018, to stop the obfuscation, to stop the cover-up, to stop the secrecy, protect children, and release the names and the files. Now, you, want, you wonder why we have to have the files released. Well, we want to know who the negligent supervisors were. If he inherited a policy of secrecy and cover-up, well, that means that perhaps other bishops who preceded him were the ones who hid these priests, who took the information and put them in secret archives. We have to know that information for the safety of the people of the Diocese of Buffalo. With me today is a courageous survivor of clergy sexual abuse who's going to speak for the first time. He is the victim of abuse and, interestingly, later in life was ordained a priest and left the priesthood in 2014. I'm from Erie, Pennsylvania. I was uh, raised there. And uh, in my high school years, between the time I was 16 and 19 years old, uh, I was molested by my pastor uh, in three different locations as he uh, retired and, and took other uh, residencies. His name is James Faluzic, and this is the first time he's come forward and spoken openly. I think in, in more recent years, it's become clear to me the effect uh, that, that that abuse had on me uh, in the sense that for maybe 20 years afterwards, I always knew it happened and thought about it and dealt with some of the trauma of it, but it became debilitating. Uh, and I started to have uh, the effects of PTSD and social anxiety order. Um, I've had a couple issues with uh, substance use disorder, uh, which are well under control. Um, but it just seemed that as time went on, there was a residual effect that the abuse had on me. And so I, I began to inform uh, my superiors in the church about uh, the, the nature of the abuse and the effect that it had had on me. So uh, I also, in spite of what happened to me, I really believed the very best about the, the Catholic Church and sensed in, uh, in the 90s uh, a calling to become a priest. And so I was ordained for the Diocese of Erie in 1996 and functioned as a priest uh, until August of 2014, uh, at which time I became a whistleblower and informed uh, my bishop in Erie of what had happened to me and others. And uh, because of that and because of the effects of the PTSD and things like that, it became completely untenable. Uh, I, I mourn the fact that I can't function as a priest, that I'm not saying Mass, that I'm not preaching. I loved, loved all of those things. But the environment in which I lived was just a constant reminder of what had happened to me. Um, but uh, So I went to seminary here in East Aurora uh, at Christ the King Seminary from 1991 to 1995. Uh, had mostly a good experience there and mostly a good experience with, with Buffalo priests. Um, I was always a rank-and-file priest in my own diocese, and I was just a student here. Um, I wasn't in any kind of special position to know what I think all priests know 
uh, about this this phenomenon. Uh, the good ones, I think, want to try to find a way to move on. Uh, they want this behind them. Uh, but I don't know that any of them really know how to tackle the issue in a way um, that allows victims to, to feel a real sense of transparency, a just sense of, of transparency. Uh, for 20-some years, I suffered with this alone. And there were others that I think my perpetrator touched. Um, they're not as forthcoming as I am. Uh, but I, I just know that one of the, I think one of the aspects of, of being a survivor is that, you know, whether it's your friends or family or the church, you suffer alone. You don't have the support network. Who wants to drag this material out in public? Who wants to talk about, you know, childhood trauma or, you know, sexual matters or, you know, the effects of it? It's not, this isn't a pleasant place to be. Um, but I think... Bishop Malone and all bishops must come out and be more transparent and reveal the names of of all the perpetrators that they're aware of. So people don't have to, victims don't have to suffer alone. Uh, It makes me wonder if he's teasing the public, if Bishop Malone isn't teasing the public by saying, I'm thinking about it. It's been longstanding policy. Well, what happens if he he doesn't reveal these names after thinking about it out loud? it's just the most humane thing to do. The church should protect its most vulnerable members and in, you know, because of the command of Christ and revealing the names of the perpetrators willingly and thoroughly, uh, I think is the only way to redress that problem or at least to make a start. What has changed in the past, you know, over the course of the 20 years that, that suddenly this groundswell of, of uh action is is coming forward? Well, the media has helped, and some high-profile legal cases have helped. Uh, Obviously, Boston was an epicenter for this in 2002, Uh, but really every diocese has this problem. I'm not going to say every diocese, but I would suspect most every diocese has a problem of that same nature. And so our population in Buffalo or Erie or somewhere else might be smaller than Boston, but on a per capita basis, the, the, the fallout is no less severe and, and impactful. Um, so I think it's, you know, in part, I think it's due to reporting and, you know, due to a societal consciousness. But this is not a new problem, and it's not an episodic problem. It's not, uh, it's not a few bad apples. As I was saying, I, I had mentioned earlier to, to someone that uh, there's documentary evidence that suggests the church has struggled with this issue in some way, shape, or form since 400 AD. There are church councils, there are church directives, papal directives, talking about solic- solicitation in the confessional, talking about pedophile priests. Uh, so you can't say it was one predecessor. You can't say it was a certain, you know, it was the 60s or the sexual revolution. That's one of the things you often hear as an excuse from bishops. There must be something in the church systemically that gives cover to this type of behavior. And, and to answer your question perhaps a little differently, nothing has changed in the church. What has changed is the courage and bravery of victims to come forward 
to announce that they were sexually abused by clergy and to do something about it. The only change that has taken place with this issue has taken place because of the courage of people like Jim Faluzak and Michael Whalen and many others who have come forward. Uh, the church continues its essentially same stance, its essential same stance about this. Keep it quiet, keep it covered up, keep it secret, and let's get away with whatever we can get away with. Fortunately, the, cur the courage of victims will not allow that to happen. What, what would you say to parishioners that are putting their hard-earned dollars into, uh, into the baskets in every church in America? Well, I, I've said it from the beginning. If, if Catholics stopped the money trail, this problem would be over. Because the bishops, number one, would never live in the kind of lifestyle that would be demanded by uh, uh, less money. Uh, the palace on Delaware Avenue uh, would, would disappear. And people, priests and, and, and bishops would have to live the lifestyles of ordinary people. I'm telling you, the problem would be eliminated. Because the focus would not be on image and position, status but it would be on protecting children and doing the kinds of things that families have to do every single day, and that's survive and, and, and eat and, and live. And, uh. Only time will tell if the Diocese of Buffalo follows through and releases additional details. We're back tomorrow. That's 930 in 716. We're back tomorrow with another edition from the studios of WBEN Buffalo. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.